Welcome to the Cybertraps Podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant temporarily based in East Hampton, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Center, <laughs> the Center for Cyberethics is the producer of the Cybertraps podcast, although it's really just the two of us eating chat. <laughs> in any case, the Center for Cyber Ethics is an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Well, this episode and the next few episodes of the podcast are going to be about our time in at the PPI conference in Boise, Idaho. So as we are chatting here, I hope you enjoy it and enjoy the uh, people that we were able to talk with. This was the Professional Practices Institute put on by the National Association of State Directors of Teacher and Educator Certification. And this is a similar um, conference that Fred and I went to last year in Oklahoma City as well. So Hope you enjoy this and the following episodes that are going to be like it. Since we were recording in a public place, there are some times where the background noise gets a little much, but hopefully we've done enough to take care of that and it's not too annoying. And uh, thanks for your patience with that. Tell us your name and where you work, please. I'm Jamie Boyd and I work for Southern Arkansas University in Magnolia, Arkansas. Okay. And so we are here at the NASTEC Professional Practices Institute Conference, um, and one of the things that I wanted to ask people here is how do we recruit and retain teachers better? And that's pretty much your role at yes. uh, Southern Arkansas University, right? Yes. So tell us what you do specifically. Well, specifically, especially the past four or five years, we've really listened to our school partners. Um, yes, there is a teacher shortage. That's you know, not a surprise. It's all over the country. Um, even in Arkansas, especially in the southwest and southeast corners of the state where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, however, with our efforts the past four or five years and working with our school partners, we have tried to find ways to think outside of the box and be more innovative. Uh, and specifically, we have started a program for uh, paraprofessionals who are employed in our local school districts who need the income, need the employment, but yet still have a desire to earn a degree in their teaching license. Mm -hmm. So we created an online K-6 program that leads to licensure where the paraprofessionals can stay employed in their school districts. 
they can complete all of their coursework online and complete all of their early field experiences in their place of employment. Oh, that's really smart. That yes. is. And, um, and then when they get to their student teaching semester, they can complete their student teaching in their place of employment. They have to do three hours under a mentor teacher, three hours a day, ah. uh, with a common planning period. And then the rest of the day just has to be direct instruction in some capacity with students. Hmm. So having that program the past four or five, four or five years, has we've seen our enrollment only go up, whereas yeah. every other institution in our state, the enrollment is stagnant or going down. Yeah. And that's a big reason. I, I think the flexibility that you've built into that is amazing. Yes. Because I think it's a real recognition of the competing forces that mm -hmm. potential teachers face right and and our superintendents and our principals you know they they love it they have they know their parapros they know what their interests are they've had parapros that have been there for 10 15 years who finally have the opportunity to complete their degrees uh, some of our districts offer some financial assistance for them to come back to school or go back to school and it, it's been a win-win for for all of us especially for the students and southwest and southeast arkansas well yeah because you have you have someone who knows they want to be in education and it's a path for them to receive pay increases and yes. benefit increases and retirement increases things that uh, most people in paraprofessional positions don't get all right. of those things and so it's a great way for you to take what you already have and use it as a training ground to help people who may not be qualified for a teaching position to have an opportunity to still get there right absolutely so why why did you guys put that program together and why do you think it's been successful you know we we put it together really like I said earlier just our school principals and superintendents would come to us and you know we of course we always talk about uh, the the recruitment and retention issue and we're losing teachers mm -hmm. and we're losing teachers to other states um, we just started sitting down and, and co having conversations about what can we do to attract these people. I mean, they have to have a work-life balance. You know, we've got single moms. We've got, you know, military families. We've all the things, you know, mm -hmm. that we all hear about. Um, so the, the Parapro uh, issue at the time, or it's not an issue, but that suggestion, we thought, okay, well, we'll pilot this and just see how it goes. And that first year we went we went from 10 in the pilot during one one year two semesters to the next year we had 30 interested wow because arkansas is a small state i mean yeah. principals talk superintendents talk sure. and so they're all beating down our door calling how do we get in on this what do we do how do we how do we advertise it for you so we just we, that's what we started doing. We started going to our school districts and presenting about our programs and their program of study and what it would look like. And at Southern Arkansas University, we are we are a small university, which means we we can't be impersonal. We really get to know all of our students. So, um, you know, when we advise our students, when we have our students, their family, and mm -hmm. we help them in every way possible. We help them with resources and just anything you can think of. So, it was. It was word of mouth conversations, um, you know, of course, all the traditional advertising, social media and all of that. But um, it has really snowballed. And I, I think that the quality of experience they get with us just help. I mean, because they do share that. So yeah. we have 
I, like I said earlier, I'm in the southwest corner of Arkansas near the Louisiana border, but we have students from Fort Smith. We have students from Fayetteville, from Jonesboro, all over the state enrolled in that K-6 Parapro mm-hmm. program because it's convenient in a hmm. way for them to still live their life and pay their bills. Well, yeah. I would think, Jethro, as a principal, you would look at this as an opportunity to raise up people in your building yeah, and, and give them more skills and hopefully retain them as teachers. I mean, the only downside I see for principals is that your new teachers will now go out and get jobs in other other schools. Yeah. Well, and what we've noticed, too, the past couple of years is that so many of these parapros who finish their bachelor's and, and earn their license, they're coming back to us and enrolling in our graduate masters, programs. Yeah. Ah, so we've awesome. got library media specialists now. We've got uh, those on the principal's track. We've got gifted and talented. So... They hadn't forgotten about us, and that's, you know, returning students yeah. for us. And, and Well, that's the idea of building family, right, yes. and relationships. Oh, so yeah. you've got this ongoing connection with mm-hmm. your students, and that's really going to draw people back because, right. you know, in this day and age, I think that's becoming increasingly mm-hmm. valuable. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it really is. One of the things that I would love to see across the country is that when a student graduates from high school, we find a way for them, if they want to be an educator, to... Mm-hmm get a job at a school in the district where they graduated from mm-hmm. as a paraprofessional, likely in the elementary school, which is typically where that where that happens, where there's more of them. There's some in high school, but there's not nearly as many. So um, they get a job there. They start going to college to become a teacher, knowing that that's where they're going to go. Grow your own. Yep, grow I'm, your you're, own. You're talking about three of my current students. Right yeah, now. exactly. Okay. And, and the beauty of that is that if somebody knows that's what they want to do, mm-hmm. they're motivated to learn how to be a teacher while they're being a paraprofessional. They're getting paid while they're going to school, and they're able to do what you're talking about when typically teachers who are in education prep programs aren't able to work because they have school and a full day of student right. teaching. Mm-hmm. And what is really tragic is when somebody goes all the way to that point, and then they get told at the end of their student teaching that they're not cut out to be a teacher. When we could have learned that yes. four years previously and said, hey, 100%. sorry, Kate, you're not good enough. You are not going to be a good teacher, and you should go find a different job. And I've been in my role at SAU for 13 years, and I've seen that happen not often, but three times that I can think of, um, especially coming off of COVID when mm-hmm. our students did not get the full and real field experience prior to student teaching. And then they got in that student teaching experience. And while they had a 4.0 and all their coursework and everything was great, they got into student teaching. They were just like, this is not at all mm. what <laughs> I thought this would be. And, and sadly, they, I, mean, I mean, I'm glad they came to that decision on their own that this isn't for me. We don't want any teacher in the classroom that doesn't feel like that's their calling but it was sad I mean they went through all of those years and and then got to that point so I know I agree with that I had some of a similar experience with law going (laughs) through oh my goodness yeah Yeah. well I went through law school and and practiced for five years Mm -hmm. or so and discovered that it was misery inducing and then became a writer and have been vastly happier and are living your best life (laughs) (laughs) misery inducing in a different way as a writer right (laughs) there there are different challenges for sure but uh, but I understand that that need and I think Jethro put it really well of of helping people learn sooner rather than later yes what the realities of their 
prospective job are. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, you know, I think it's a real gift to people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So, Jamie, uh, last question I'd ask is okay. what if you could do anything to solve our teacher recruitment and retention problem that we have right now, what would you what would you say? No, no limits on money, time, none of that. What would you say we really need to do to solve that problem? You know, I think at the end of the day, we just want to be valued as the professionals that we are, not glorified babysitters, not, you know, we do what we do because of our passion and our, our love for children and, and just making the world a better place. Um, and maybe I'm speaking more for me personally, but, you know, obviously I did, I never went into it for the money. I think my first teaching job, I made 14000 a year. I mean, mm -hmm. and thought I was rolling. But um, <laughs> it's been sad to me the past several years just to see uh, just the backlash against teachers and just we're not, I don't feel like at times valued as the mm -hmm. top profession as we should be. So, yes, of course, money is helpful we need to be paid a living way i mean t single mom teachers shouldn't live in poverty that's i can't wrap my mind around that yeah. but in yeah. in a lot of states they do um you know t everything that's thrown on our plate is like every year there's some new task or some new report or some new something that we are required to deal with and we have to be counselors and we have to be custodians and we so i just think if we could get back to the focus of great teaching and whatever the the autonomy of teaching mm -hmm. um i know that would mean everything to me as yeah. a teacher just to have that autonomy back so it, it i think my last observation and, and we do really appreciate you jumping yeah. in and doing this interview today <laughs> you're doing great but, but let me know. let me throw this out to you is it, it must have been particularly painful for teachers when the pandemic really kicked in and there was so much of an immediate understanding of the role that teachers play yeah. like for three months like mm -hmm. and and i live in new york and it was the same thing with like grocery store stockers and bodega workers like people like for the first time realized oh my goodness these folks are critical right to the society we want to live yeah. in and then some shift hit and that's to me been one of the saddest things. Like there was that brief glimmering moment mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. appreciation and it, How oof. quickly it may. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and I yes. think that to me is very similar to what you're saying. I'd love us to get back to that sense of collective mm -hmm. value. Yes, me too. Yeah. And if you have the magic answer for how to make that happen, I'm all ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just yeah. a little podcast. Yeah. Much. That's right. <laughs> Well, well thank I was you so terrified, much. but this was fun. Yeah, you did great. <laughs> you did you awesome. You did fantastic. It was yeah. wonderful speaking with you. Thank, thank you. you.